three, two. Good morning. This is Tom Clark with the Father's Heart and Papa Tom's Tales. Our discussion this morning is going to be with the subject of dominion. Uh, before I mention that, I would also like to mention that God's doing something new with us, and he's bringing into our podcast the ability to incorporate songs and music. There is a ministry called Buying Song that I'm familiar with over the last 30 years, and they've offered their entire um, library of songs for us to use. So I want to introduce that concept in today's podcast. Uh, the podcast today about Dominion uh, is referencing something that the Lord showed to me, uh, brought my attention to prophetically. It had to do with uh, my driving the other day down the road, and I saw this cleaners, and it was called Dominion Cleaners. And the Holy Spirit brought my attention to the word dominion. I said, why would they call it Dominion Cleaners? And then I looked at the street sign and said, Old Dominion Road. I said, oh, I wonder why they know the Dominion Cleaners on Dominion Road. And I'm in the state of Virginia, which is known as the Old Dominion. So I knew that that was something that the Lord wanted me to unpack in my mind. Later that day, um, about 12 hours later, I was in a prayer meeting in the evening and um, came up with a discussion about um, the word dominion. And uh, I brought it to the people's attention. And later that evening, uh, it was brought to my attention that uh, Dr. Lester Semerall had um, a book that he had written uh, many years before, um, which was dealing with the authority of the believer. And um, information that was in that book was brought out to the um, a woman named Billy Brine, who was Billy, Br Billy Brim, excuse me, Billy Brim Ministries. And she was giving a teaching on the word dominion. And let me just read this to you because I think you'll find it very interesting. In 1981, I edited a book for Dr. Lester Semerall entitled, You Hold the Reins. Obviously, the you referring to believers. I'd misplaced my copy and wanted to refer to the original edition, so on and so forth. Then the following quote came out of Dr. Semerall's book. There never was a Goliath capable of standing before any of God's Davids. The devil cannot create an image of strength which God's people cannot destroy. And I want to refer that today in today's world. We see many things that are thrown up to us as images of strength, particularly through the fake news media. And they become big Goliaths, but God's people can easily destroy them if we know what we're doing. The Lord told Kenneth Hagin that whatever happened in America happened because the church allowed it to happen. In that light, consider the following from Dr. Summerall. The most powerful living organism on the earth today is the church, the very body of Christ. Now I want to share with you a story. This is an interesting story. I found it very interesting. I'm sure you will too. It's about understanding who we are. It's about our identity. It coincides with Papa Tom's Tales first book, The Boy Who Found His Name. It's all about identity. And we think we know our name is, but listen to this. Dr. Summerall told the following story to illustrate that without knowledge of dominion and authority, the believer received that the instant of his new birth, he cannot possess dominion over the many conflicts of life. Hosea 4.6. Suppose someone kidnaps a king's only son, the crown prince of the realm. Later, the child is abandoned. A beggar finds the boy, 
and having no idea of his identity, out of compassion, the beggar adopts her. Now the child of the king eats beggar's refuse food, clothes himself in filthy rags, and begs from house to house. But suppose further that the king knows the young prince by a birthmark, which establishes his identity beyond question. The royal father never gives up in his search for the prince. One day the king hears their child, resembling his son, lives in a distant city with a beggar. Arriving at the beggar's hovel, the king examines the child and finds him to be his son. A tremendous change suddenly takes place. The crown prince is washed and groomed. He is given a robe, a ring, and a place of authority. My point is that the crown prince, even though he was the son of the king, while living with the beggar, was no different from the beggar. He did not know his position of dominion. Many Christians today are like that. They belong to Christ. They are sons of God. Yet the devil keeps them in ignorance so that they will not realize their divine right of dominion. For once they understand the basis of their dominion in Christ, they live a new life attended with power and victories. It's imperative that you know that you know, that you know your rights as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. It's imperative that you know that you know that you know your rights as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I'd like to first give us a definition of the word dominion. In Hebrew, the word dominion is rada, R-A-D-A-H. It means basically to rule, but it actually has a little deeper connotation to that. It means to rule by going down and walking among one's subjects or among subjects as an equal, implying a man is to rule over animals as his subjects, not as a dictator, but a benevolent leader. We are shown in uh, Genesis that God gave Adam dominion over the birds and the animals and the plants and the, everything on earth. There's one thing he did not give him dominion over, and that is other human beings. With that, I'd like to introduce my good friend, David Henderson, because he has thoughts on this subject as well. The, um, it's an interesting thing when we're dealing with dominion. All of the occultic world operates in the concept of giving you dominion over your circumstances in your life. And oftentimes the ideas in the occult have invaded the culture. Our culture has been massively invaded by uh, the, the practices of occult, what we used to call the occult. And the word occult literally means to darken. So what the occult is doing is darkening our understanding from what God wants us to understand. Uh, they used to call uh, Venetian blinds that we have in our house occulters back in the 1800s. So that gives reference to that particular thing. And what happens is we feel in fear in our life and we need the need to have control makes us pursue various different things. And part of that that happens is we get brought into what the scripture calls witchcraft, witchcraft type mindset, is that we want to have dominion over our circumstances and dominion over these things, which God gave us in the word if we would follow God. And that's why he says in, in 1 Samuel uh, 15, verse 23, he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
because rebellion uh, leads you to trying to find dominion outside of God's will. The rebellion is it's an interesting thing. Rebellion, the word rebellion, we often think of it as somebody just waving their fist at God. It's not really what the root of that word is in the scripture. The root of that word in the Hebrew is rooted in the word bitterness. So what happens is we go through processes in life that oftentimes make us bitter. And those processes then respond in us by fear. So we've got to we've got to find a way to ameliorate that fear that the bitterness has put on us. For for instance, I'm afraid to be in a relationship with somebody because they might treat me the way the other person treated me. I'm afraid that if I don't uh, stand up for myself in this circumstance, they're going to take advantage of me. There's all kinds of things that we operate on, and it just keeps getting further and further down that path towards the darkness. And then Satan comes in and he and he brings in, well, if you'll do this or if you do that, it's all about the rebellion that we participate in. And that uh, that's why witchcraft and the cult and all those things give us a sense of dominion. But the dominion we're trying to get is over people. Mm-hmm. And the scripture did never gave us dominion over other people. In fact, it was Nimrod's family that first took dominion over other people. And he first created the kingdoms that took dominion. Of course, after uh, the sin of Cain killing Abel, who, who killed him because of his dominion over him because his sacrifice wasn't accepted by God, mm-hmm. where his brothers was. So what happens is these things lead us down the same path, but much of what motivates this and it's something we have to resolve is bitterness. The bitterness that comes in the heart of people by bad experiences. Um, my wife and I spent some time uh, reading and studying Restoring the Foundations mm-hmm. by uh, Chester Kilster and his wife Betty. And the main point that he talked about is strongholds that the devil has been successful in implanting into our souls is three bedrock strongholds shame, fear, and control. And once those three are implanted in us, think of the movie Inception. Mm-hmm. They're implanted, they're tied to our emotions, right? The concept of shame is not that we've done something wrong. Like guilt would be this, not feeling like you did something wrong. But shame is to take guilt to the next degree and makes us feel that we're bad. So you've done something bad, okay, well, that's outside of me. But if you say, well, I've done something bad, but it's worse, I'm actually a bad person. If we can get into the, if, if the devil can get us into a mindset that we are a bad person or we should be ashamed of ourselves, he's basically attacked our identity. Got it? So we don't have an identity in Christ there. So if a believer has been shamed into thinking that he's bad and connected with the bear is the fear that people find out that he's bad, and then he's got to control all the circumstances and other people's view of him so they don't see him or her as being bad. And then on top of the shame, fear, and control, that's what has built the next level of strongholds, which is witchcraft, manipulation, uh, and uh, sometimes perfectionism. Things that are built on top of the, the thought that I have to control the situation, I have to other control the other people, and I have to control what other people think of me. It's totally off base from realizing that my identity comes from God the Father. And I only need to be concerned about what God the Father thinks about me, not what other people 
think about me. Mm -hmm. So I don't care what you think about me, Dave, only what God the Father does. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that the scripture warns about is a root of bitterness rising up in a person. It says, whereby all things are defiled. And when my wife was going through the process of the cancer, we go into a cancer ward and she was in her, she was like 41 years old and everybody else in the room would be 80 with the, with the particular type cancer that she had. And it really pushed me to look into the causes and the roots of oftentimes of cancers. And one of the things that the doctors told me is oftentimes bitterness uh, creates the environment in your body. Hmm. Bitterness, anger, fear, and, and it, it causes your, uh, your chemicals to be released in your body that become toxic to you, become toxic to your own self. Mm -hmm. and, and I've known a couple of people that uh, have died of cancer since that time that were extremely bitter, extremely bitter, and, and in fear, utterly in fear, and were angry at not only at God, but at everybody around them. And this is one of these, this is one of these things that the toxicity of this can mess up our whole lives, not only mess up our mind, but it can also mess up our actual body. So we have to, we have to walk uh, circumspectly, meaning we have to walk with a view towards what needs to be done the right way. And that right way is that our job is never to dominate another human being. It's to, if we need to, to instruct them, but not to dominate. And one of the, one of the greatest motivators in this fear process is to get people utterly caught up in a spirit of fear. This is, we have seen a psychosis that took place starting a year ago, almost to the day, a year ago in this, in this nation and in the entire Western world has been taken over by a psychosis about this virus. It turns out that now when you look at the statistics, the actual statistics, which is what really makes the difference, the mathematics, no more people died this year than died last year or the last 10 years before it, though they portrayed this to be like the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu killed one quarter of all the people on the earth. And this didn't kill any more people than anybody else. We had a diminishment of how many people died of flu, et cetera, et cetera. So all these things in there, but what it was good enough to do was to throw an absolute psychosis into the society in a state of fear. Many people still walking in that so that we would bring in a mail-in voting system so they could use this Dominion system that they created. They conveniently named the Dominion voting system, which was the Control. software. The software of this thing was controlled, was created in Venezuela in order to keep Hugo Chavez in power because the people, once he got in there, they saw that he wasn't doing what they said he'd do, but he wasn't ever going to let him be voting out. Mm -hmm. And so, so this dominion was brought in to give control over the people. It wasn't brought in to, get to actually read a, a ballot so that somebody could tell who voted for whom. It was brought in to bring in the people that were in charge of its view of who should be controlling everybody's life. And this is, this is what we've gotten out of this thing. We've gotten this particular thing. It's because the state has decided that the individual should not have his rights and his abilities to be able to walk because the greatest minority in the world is the individual. So they've been pushing for this mail-in balance for 50 years. They finally found a level they can I do mean, something I to mean, bring it in, which was this fear, the psychosis of fear. And I, and I run into 
individuals right now, and if they see me without a mask, oftentimes they will react in a way that in my years of counseling people, I've only seen people that have been sexually molested or physically abused react. The, right. And that tells me that these people have been traumatized. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't just say to them, you're stupid for believing this because they can't imbibe that concept because they've been traumatized because the people that are pushing dominion over them have learned that the best way to manipulate people is through trauma and fear and to make these people afraid. It reminds me of the movie Inception, where uh, it really was structured, uh, the scriptwriters of that movie really understood the demonic process of getting into people's minds in a particular movie they took about in their sleep and plant a thought. But the power of that thought to influence them was directly associated to a feeling or an emotion. <clears throat> so if you could tell them a lie, but it was associated with a feeling emotion like fear, right? And the fear of death is being the one of the most powerful things to associate with. That's why everybody's so afraid of dying of COVID-19 when the statistics are completely against that reality. But that's what is being promoted by our government, by the media, and those forces that are trying to have dominion over us. And the, the ironic thing is, we're being manipulated. And this generation that we're in has been manipulated. I've been manipulated my entire life. From the very time I first went into a classroom and was forced to crawl under my desk three times a week because the Soviet Union was going to blow us up. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they stopped that, all of a sudden one day they stopped that. And the next thing they're selling to us is that there's a population explosion that this is like maybe the late 60s that was going to kill. And this is what they said. Paul Ehrlich, his, his crew said this, and it went all over this country on every media broadcast everywhere that one third of Americans would die of starvation by the end of the 70s because of shortage of food. Then they came into the, the uh, global freezing, the global warming, the global climate change. It's just means of manipulation by people that know they can motivate us by manipulating us into fear. And what we have to do is step back from that fear, rebuke that fear, and stand against the fear. Even though it seems like it's insanely hard to do because the crowd is moving in that fear, we have to understand the crowd is traumatized. They've been traumatized by these people. Mm -hmm. I remember just recently, AOC said the whole world was going to end in about 12 years. Two years ago, she said that. Two years ago, about <laughs> 10 years left, which is, is just, you know, large. <laughs> but uh, again, the, the promotion of fear, it's like one of the things that these podcasts that God gave me to bring out, as well as the books, is to how to overcome fear with mm -hmm. the love of God. And if we want to understand that process, how do we get there? We have to understand our own identity and the uh, power and authority that God has given us in his word. Mm -hmm. If we understand who we are, that we're sons and daughters of God, and what that really means, that we can walk in that confidently, we won't have to take the vaccines. We don't have to wear the masks. We don't have to do any of the things that the people are scaring us to try to, to uh, motivate to, to do. One of, the, one of the great things that can be handled and can be started is the instruction in the home where the mother and the father, and this is why we need 
the mothers and the fathers together. The, the scripture says in Proverbs, you know, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So whatever starts out the book of Proverbs is a very good sign that God wants that point primarily hit, especially. And it starts out in Proverbs uh, chapter one. It, it, it very clearly starts out by telling us, it says, my son, it says, regard the instruction of your father and the law of your mother. God, uh, and those, both of those words, instruction and law are very similar. One means uh, kind of pulling a direction on somebody, which is what the father does. He guides a direction. And the law means to very clearly uh, speak constantly to the children, to constantly tell the children, hey, don't do this, don't do that. And here's why. Here's why. A lot of the young men that I've been counseling are bitter, walking around in bitterness. And these are guys that are my son's age that come over to the house. A lot of them are walking around in bitterness. And I've, I've tried to plumb what is it that's made them bitter. Part of what made them bitter was an absolute rule with no understanding of why the rule was set. Why did you tell me I have to do this? You didn't tell me this could be dangerous for me. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll tell you when you get older. But oftentimes we just, just do it because I said to do it. And that's the way it is. And that naturally causes a, uh, an anger to rise up in a child. It's, just, it's designed to do that. Right. So, so we need better tools in that toolbox for how to raise our kids to be free. Because the whole society is manipulating our children to be utilized to push them to the point where we become a nation that's enslaved by the state. So we need to be free from this. And the first place to break this freedom is in that spirit of fear that's come over children to, to help them understand. You want your children. I don't want to be telling my children at age 25 years old when they need to mow the lawn. I want them to grow up to understand things mature enough so that I can look at them and I see them in their life and I say, they're doing certain things. I know that they are now matured to where they should be. I don't want to treat them like babies. I want them to grow into maturity. So as I'm raising them, I'll instruct them. And this is what I do with my four sons. Raise them and instruct them. Why? If they're too young to fully understand, I give them an idea. I'm going to come back to this. Buy it for now. You know, there are some absolutes. There are some absolutes. I remember my dad told me, he said, if I tell you to stop, you stop. Mm -hmm. When we were going through the, uh, through the mountains. And uh, one time we came on a rattlesnake and he told me, stop. And I knew at that moment, stop. Right? <laughs> and the same thing. You're not going to argue with him. <laughs> the same thing I told my youngest son, Josh, and we were looking at a lake. And I told him, I said, if I ever tell you to freeze, you freeze. And, and, and Josh says, hey, dad, a snake. And I said, freeze, right? I looked down right next to his foot was a coiled up copperhead about five foot. Thankfully, I had a stick and I threw it out. And I hooked that snake and threw it out of it before it took a strike. But there are some times when you have to do something like that. But for the most part, you reason with your children, mm -hmm. just like God reasons with us. You know, God doesn't just say to us, here's the way it is. Now he, and says, you, he says, come reason together. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. Come reason together. The enemy's teaching us other kind of reasoning. And that's why it says casting it down imaginations, which means reason. The, the reason the enemy's saying to us is God is an ogre. He's under that bridge ready to, to capture you and your mistakes. He's going to let you mess up so they can stop down you. He's going to get you. He's going to get you. And that's the satanic accusation. Not only is he the accuser of the brethren, but he's accuser of God to the brethren. Mm -hmm. And we've got this mindset that we don't understand, just like a father and a mother who love their children. There are some weirdos out there that don't love their children. 
But just like a father and a mother who love their children, God works with us in a real way of teaching us why. That's what he means. Why is God doing these particular things in our life? He gives us an understanding of what these things mean. You know, the Lord showed me one time that in people's hearts, they don't have the capacity to love if they have fear in there. Mm -hmm. So it's always incumbent upon spirits of darkness, right? Evil. Exactly. To use fear to have dominion over us. And when they have, when they accomplish their objective, when we, when we do believe that, we do believe these evil thoughts, these fearful thoughts, and they do gain dominion over us, we're basically pushing out love. Our capacity to love God and our capacity to love other human beings diminishes. Mm -hmm. It's not there. It's diminished under that. It's diminished capacity because we have fear. So the opposite of that is believing God, trusting mm -hmm. God, allowing the love of God to fill our hearts. And to the extent that we allow the love of God to fill our hearts, we don't have fear. Oftentimes we get ourselves into situations. I know with, with the world, the world operates on a structure that you can't really uh, exclaim except that it's a satanic structure. But in the church, we oftentimes drag these things into the church. But the scripture says, perfect love casteth out fear, right? So the word perfect doesn't mean what we think it means. The word perfect really just means the proper, complete way. A complete way of made is off the word teleos, which falls into the forms that Aristotle talked about. So when perfection does not mean sinless love, like we oftentimes say, well, he's perfectly sinless, that we, we know we're not that. Any honest person looks at us, I'm not perfectly sin, I'm not perfect, but it means mature for what you were made for. So real love, and, and one of the things we should do, and, and I think this is a great exercise, you know, when Jesus gives you an idea of how to love somebody, you know, God, God tells you, love your neighbor, right? One friend used to always say, he said, love your enemies, you made them, right? So God tells you, he tells you how to love people. So what did Jesus say to do? The key to loving other people was to love your neighbor as what? As yourself. As you love yourself. Many people walk around hating themselves mm -hmm. because they got a standard in their mind of what's right and what's wrong. They have the shame in their life for what they see wrong in their lives. They walk around hating themselves. And so what, what Jesus said to do was love your neighbor as yourself. So if you hate yourself, you're going to hate your neighbor. And so one of the things I think that would be a great exercise if nobody, if someone hasn't done this yet, is go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter we call the love chapter, which we always apply to somebody else, or we always have it at weddings. We've done a bunch of weddings and, you know, uh, uh, oversaw a bunch of weddings and they always want that love chapter there, I guess to remind them, you know, don't, you know, they want everybody to know this is how they're going to be. One of the things that every Christian should do sometime in their life is to go to that love chapter and apply those things to themselves. Mm -hmm. Apply those things to how they view themselves. Are you patient with yourself? Are you kind with yourself? Are you able to look at yourself in these ways? Because we're oftentimes very critical of ourselves and very judgmental. And that judgmental brings that conflict so that we're uh, ashamed of ourselves in the wrong way. The right kind of sorrow leads us to repentance, but the other kind of sorrow leads us to destruction and death. Uh, not only is that true, 
But if you look at that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, think of it as God thinking the Father's attitude towards us. Does he consider us worthy enough to have his patience? Does he consider us worthy for all the things mentioned there? And the value proposition is his thought towards us, his beloved, his children, and how he interacts with us, his kindness towards us, right? Um, everything that he does when he interacts with us should give us a better concept of ourselves and our identity because he said it was true. Mm -hmm. it, not coming from the eyes or coming from the mouths of other people. The fear of man and what people say about us, we oftentimes allow that to define who we are. Now, we gave an example earlier when we were talking about uh, David and Goliath. David and Goliath and the interaction between the two of them, David defined who Goliath was. And then he turned around and defined who he was. And in defining who Goliath was and who he was, he was defining it from God's perspective. From God's perspective, Goliath was an uncircumcised heathen, right? From God's perspective, even though he was young, maybe 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, he represented the Lord God of hosts. He represented the Lord God of Israel. So David's identity as a representative of God himself gave him the authority and the dominion and the power to defeat Goliath. Then he specifically told Goliath exactly what he was going to do, chop his head off with his own sword, and what about him did it. You know, I remember when my dad got saved, and it was on his way to his last trip in Vietnam. He had done a number of tours there, about four tours in Vietnam, and then off and on a bunch going in and out. And this was maybe 1971, I guess it was, 72, because I was saved by then. And I remember it was the first time I ever saw my dad happy, joyful. I mean, I'd grown up my whole life and never one time saw my father joyful. And over the course of these years, since, you know, that 50 years ago, um, I've thought about it a lot. I thought, you know, this was the first time he ever knew who he was. That wasn't defined by his life and failures he saw in his life because he walked around feeling great failures for things he had done in his life, right? And I found when I first came to my relationship with Jesus Christ, when I first was told the gospel in a clear way and I was sitting in a chair and a guy, I was invited over to a person's house. I didn't know what was going on. They just said, hey, come on over. We're going to goof off a little bit. I get there and it's one of those setups, right? There's a preacher in there. And that preacher just walked over to me and he pointed his finger at me and he said, you can know Jesus Christ personally. And those are the first times I'd ever even heard those words, ever spoken to me. And I was in the middle of the Jesus movement going around. I never heard a word of what I was spiritually blind. And when he said that, Jesus appeared to me. And I was sitting there. I didn't see the man anymore. I saw Jesus Christ himself stepping into my body, in my life. And then I left after that meeting. I had no idea what happened. I, I didn't feel anything. I didn't have, you know, you oftentimes have people have experiences with that. All I know is that I saw this vision of Jesus stepping into my body and I didn't know what went on, but I went back to this place where some friends of mine were at this church that was just a, you know, heathen church and weren't believers. 
in uh, in just a religious place. And there was a good news for modern man there. And I'd never seen that. And all those years I've been in and out of those places, I've never even seen that book. And there's a whole shelf full of them. And I went over and I picked it up. I don't even know why I picked it up. I was picking it up in front of a whole group of folks. I picked it up and I opened it up and it was 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And I told the guy, read it out loud, and I said, this happened to me tonight. And they all looked at me like, are you crazy? And I'm looking at myself like, am I crazy? But I knew that's exactly what happened. And God desires for us to be new people, that we personally know Jesus Christ. We, in order to, and the reason we're talking about a lot of these things is because these are merely uh, roadblocks to that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our greatest desire for every individual to come into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then to be able to instruct their children because God wants a righteous generation. And oftentimes that we don't understand why uh, kids are having trouble. And that's one of the things that's fantastic about the books that talk about these various particular issues, starting with finding your identity, your, your identity, because all of us are walking around saying, what's my calling? What's my job in the Lord? You know, we, we know the scripture talks about these things and we see these great men and women used by God throughout history. But we say to ourselves, I don't feel like I match this. I don't feel like I've come, come to this place. And oftentimes it's because we've got a misperception of what God's looking for in order to be able to use us. And what God is looking for is not for us to have to become some kind of perfect being, meaning sinless being where we have no more troubles, we have no more doubts, we have no more struggles, but that we just get to be used by God because God can use anybody. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody that's within the sound of any of these broadcasts that can't be used by God as great as some of the greatest uh, evangelists or preachers that have ever come across the world. And that is one of the things I always found was my greatest joy in evangelizing out on the streets is you just don't know who the next person you talk to will become once they come to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded that when you said that day that a person with an experience is never at a loss mm -hmm. to a person with an idea. If that's it's just so a thought, it's really different when you experience it. That's why the things that we're doing and the things that I know uh, is important to, are important to you as well as me is we want people to experience the kingdom of God on the earth. Mm -hmm. Hear that word experience it. It's not trying to talk to people about an idea. The kingdom of heaven is this, the kingdom of God is that. It's theoretical. We want it to be an actual experience in their lives as we've had experiences in our lives and we want to propagate that to our children and to every person that we meet. We want to to know they can have an experience with it. It's not until they have their own personal one-on-one -on -one experience with God and have that over and over again, different experiences, that their life changes. Exactly. If life changes when you have mm -hmm. those experiences and it's not going to be that way otherwise. So as you mentioned before, the, the 12 books that are in the process of writing for children are trying to give the children in their spirits an imaginative experience with connecting with God the Father. The first one was the boy who found his name and had to do with identity. The second books, which will be out in another um, 30 or 60 days, 
will be um, The Boy Who Found Understanding. And it deals with the issue of transgender. But it doesn't go against the transgender and say, bad, bad, you know, you're supposed to be a bad person. It deals with the issue from the perspective of overcoming the spirit of confusion. Mm -hmm. Because it's the spirit of confusion that confuses someone. A boy thinks he's a girl, a girl thinks he's a boy, back and forth. I have no you know, bad thoughts about the children. It, it angers me about what the devil is doing to confuse these people. You know, I heard that in, uh, Johns Hopkins uh, used to be the biggest hospital in the world for transgender operations. And about 10, eight or 10 years ago, they stopped having them because the Department of Psychiatry issued a, a report to the uh, board of trustees of the hospital and says, look, you know, we got to be careful about this because uh, five years after a transgender operation, 30% commit suicide. 10 years, 50%. It says, this is not an issue of changing your organs. This is a, an issue, it's a psychiatric, a psychological problem or issue. And the psychological issue, once the person realized they basically mutilated themselves, they want to commit suicide. So yeah. that's a bad experience. Now. Exactly. We, we want people to have good experiences, healthy, truthful, good experiences by connecting with God, their father, that changes their lives in a good way. You know, we're all we're trying to do, both uh, Tommy and I have both raised children from all the way up. We're not theorizing mm -hmm. about what we think. And we're not, we're not 20 year olds sitting here saying, when I get married, this is what I want to do with my children. We've been through those processes. And, and uh, I raised my uh, four sons mostly by myself after my wife died. And, it wasn't theory. I had to go on what worked. And I know what worked in Christ. I know what worked in Christ in establishing an identity for these guys to understand their identity. Because I knew the battle they were in, having been working on the streets all these years, I knew the battle they were going to be in the moment they went out the door of my house every day. I had no question about what the battle was. I didn't deceive myself about it. So the things that we're trying to offer is to very clearly make people understand to, to make it so and many of you are in the middle of the process right now demographically according to what what you know everything says are in this process now of raising your children and guiding them on or in the process of helping raise your grandchildren you know many people are in the process of helping raise your grandchildren and that's the last, that final stage where you you're helping your your children raise their children and it's a little bit different in the tension that you feel because you, you don't feel like you're directly responsible, but you that's when you get to see what, whether what you put into the person as they were growing up has the ability to go further in what it should be. Uh, one of the things that I discovered most is I think mo all six of my children grew up beautifully. And uh, I almost think almost in spite of myself in a lot yeah, of ways. many ways. And uh, they all- Same uh, thing you know, had gone to college, they've all had great success stories and went in the natural. But the more important that they're all believers. And now I have 11 grandchildren. And I've learned through the process that all my six children were different and all my 11 grandchildren are, be, are different. And so as a grandfather, I have the hindsight or the foresight to see, I have to discover who they are. Mm -hmm. Because everyone is different and God's gonna 
teach them differently. It's like when Jesus healed people. He never healed two people the same way. It was always different. And the same thing when, when he dealt with David and he gave David instructions on how to defeat the enemy. It wasn't the same way twice. It was always something different. So we, while we're talking about understanding something to share, it's basically understanding the process, but not a formula. Yeah. Because you can't lock it down into a formula. You just have to understand how do I connect uh, God to them? That's, that's the process. How do I get the God the Father's heart exposed to my children or grandchildren? And he'll do the rest. There's, there's a tremendous uh, thing that oftentimes in the more modern era has been lost. And that is the power of a prayer of a mother and father. And, and especially in the home of the mother. I used to come home from my time being wild when I was a kid and see my mom on her knees praying. And it used to drive me crazy. <laughs> Didn't drive me as crazy as a friend of mine who uh, every time her husband would come home from the bar would find her on her knees praying and he would literally throw her through the door, throw her out the window or through the door. Many times she was thrown literally through the glass window. But eventually her prayers won and he became a believer. So God has tremendous power in hearing uh, the prayers of a parent for their children to constantly pray, to cover them in prayer and to let them see you pray, to let them see that you are going to pray and seek God's face for them eventually that will have the effect God is looking for. God is looking for an effect on their lives and it'll eventually have an effect you know, if, you, if you do this particular thing. We need to close now, but at the, this moment, I think it's important that we pray mm -hmm. that our audience expands their mind to understand the authority and dominion that God has yes. them, has given them in their word. So Father, I pray that right now that Everyone hearing this podcast will understand the authority and dominion they have in you and will uh, appreciate and exercise that authority and dominion in their lives over their own issues, but also in interacting with their families and friends and everybody that you put them in contact with. So we uh, very appreciate your time here and we thank you for uh, giving us uh, opportunity to share with you what David and I have to share with you uh, today. Uh, please look us up at uh, www.papatomstales.com. You can also find our books on Amazon and in the bookstores. And uh, we will be adding some music to these podcasts from Vine Song. So take, be looking for that. Um, with that, take care.